afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we tend to think that being good is the same as being genuine. A lot of people mix those words up all the time. But what the book Letting Go of Good Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self proves is that it's very possible to strive after goodness while living a very false existence. In this third episode of the countdown to the launching of that book, we discover some surprises regarding a breakthrough approach to this problem. First, we discover that difficult emotions, unlike that what we have been taught, are meant to give us a message from the authentic self. In fact, they can heal us from a false identity and restore us to authenticity. We're typically taught to push these emotions aside in favor of more positive emotions, but we will discover that advice to be a mistake, for it is our most difficult emotions that have the capacity to open us to living from a richer, more authentic self. So stay here today for the whole show. We have a lot to tell you. Okay, so we've been talking over the past two weeks about uh, Letting Go of Good, which will be out on the 8th of August, uh, and uh, you will be able to purchase it at Amazon or Books and Barnes and & Nobles or Books A Million or wherever your favorite outlet is or at your bricks and mortar store as well. Um, and uh, what the book is about is, is it's basically about uh, our defining ourselves as, uh, as good people while we live into something that's not really true to who we actually are. And uh, we call that a good guy identity in the book, and we talk about someone who is striving after goodness, trying very hard to compensate for a sense of unworthiness or what some people would call low self-esteem. And uh, in the process, they're trying very hard to be define themselves as good people, and generally speaking, they do that by doing many good deeds. And what good deeds are are classified in in terms of our uh, sort of hierarchy of good deeds, uh, the best and most goodest of all good deeds is the uh, is serving other people, is being kind and and uh, servile to other people so that we can um, always be thinking about whether or not we're hurting their feelings and always be thinking about whether or not we are uh, doing the right thing by them and and feeling enormous amounts of guilt. And guilt is one of the sort of uh, identifiers of this good guy identity. They, they, the people who come into my office and say, yeah, I feel guilty about everything. I had one client tell me, I feel guilty for Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and I wasn't even born yet. So it's that kind of guilt that sort of just says, I, I, I live my daily routine based on whether or not I'm going to feel guilty for what I do. So I do, I make my choices uh, led around by guilt. So if I if I do what guilt tells me to do, then I don't have to suffer with guilt feelings later. But if I don't do what guilt tells me to do, then guilt tells me I'm going to feel really bad later, um, and I do. And so guilt becomes the orchestrator of the life at that point. And so I'm trying to be good, thinking that guilt is a good thing to motivate me, when actually guilt is just another form of anxiety. And um, so... What we, what we have talked about so far is some of the lies that have been held up as bastions of truth over the centuries that, that we have come to believe are absolutes with regard to being good people. 
And uh, what we've discovered is that a lot of those uh, of those things are actually untruths. They don't have any basis in truth whatsoever, and they mislead us and misguide us into doing all kinds of things that aren't really authentic at all and get us into a mess of trouble, including abusive and neglectful relationships um, and fin- bad financial deals. All kinds of trouble can be can be entertained by the good guy identity who is trying really hard to manage his life by guilt. So, uh, and, we'll, and, and if you buy the book, you'll learn more about that. So I'll, I will tell you that the book is, the foreword of the book is written by Thomas More. And um, he is the best-selling author of Care of the Soul and several other books. Um, Caroline Mice also um, endorsed the book. She says, this book finally gives voice to the truth that doing good can be a dangerous compulsion that is rooted in any number of fears. This is an essential read for all of us. And um, Larry Dossie says, Matthews identifies a psychological pattern that largely goes unrecognized, but which is epidemic. And she offers sound, solid solutions. This very wise book deserves a wide reception. So um, those are just some ideas about what some other folks have to say about the book. But today what I wanted to talk about is this idea of negative, what we call negative emotions. So in the... um, Human potential movement and the New Age movement in the uh, in the some of these more pro- progressive ideals about um, how to live a, a a good life, how to have live a spiritual life. There's a lot of people out there telling us that there are negative emotions and that we shouldn't feel these emotions. There's a meme going around today. I just saw it again the other day. I've seen it several times. I just saw it again the other day. That tells us that anger can make us sick in certain ways, and fear can make us sick in other ways, and and sorrow can make us sick in other ways, and uh, uh, res- resentment can make us sick in other ways, and and uh, what is saying is there are certain particular body organs that are affected by these particular emotions. That if we feel them, then our then our then these organs are going to get sick, and I uh, I can't even tell you how much I. Uh, uh, disagree with that meme and, and, and all that it stands for because basically what it's saying is that the emotions that we were given by our creator are are not good for us. They're toxic to us. And, and that is just false. That is absolute false hogwash. And I want to stand right there and say that we, we really do need to have access to all of our emotions not just positive, what they call positive emotions, in other words, the emotions that feel good, not just those, but also those that are difficult. Yes, these emotions are difficult, and they're difficult because we believe that we shouldn't have to have difficult emotions. They wouldn't be difficult if we expected those as a normal part of our everyday lives. But they are difficult because we we decided that we shouldn't have to have these kinds of emotions. We should always be up. We should always be smiling. We should always be in bliss, and that's how we show evidence that we are spiritual beings. And that's just not true. Much of what has been written by some of the great spiritual masters of our world have taught us that um, that our uh, that these difficult emotions are a part of what some would call the dark night of the soul, where we are uh, we we can't seem to attain to any kind of recognition of of a higher power, be that God or, or uh, the philosophy of Buddhism or 
Hinduism or any of the other religions, whatever whatever that is for us, we can't seem to do what it takes to feel the bliss, feel the joy, feel the peace of that emotion of that uh, that particular persuasion, and so we feel lost, and that's a part of finding ourselves is feeling lost because an old the old identity, which in this case would be the good guy identity, wants to uh, what. what wants to own us it wants to tell us who we are it wants to define us by ruling our actions and our thoughts but uh when we when we begin to see that that identity is not who we are we do go through a period of lostness where we don't quite know who we are and we think that's really wrong and bad and we should always know who we are but actually that period of lostness is one of those dark nights of the soul that helps us to find something more genuine inside of ourselves Instead of just doing what by rote what we've always done, we have to go a little deeper and find more genuine emotions and more genuine content in our psyches in order to operate out of that. And so these periods of difficult emotions are extremely important and very necessary to our spiritual growth. And yet we have many of our spiritual teachers out there kind of convincing us that if we're having a difficult emotion, we must be doing something wrong. And I, I'm, I'm going to stand against that forever. So <laughs> that will be my stand. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some difficult emotions. Uh, the, one, the, one of the first ones that's addressed in the book is resentment. And I've mentioned this emotion several other times on this show. Um, resentment is uh, an, an old, comes from an old French word mean, which, which is resentir, which means to feel again or to feel in turn. And that's exactly what resentment does. It feels, again, something that we have tried to push away. It brings back into our mind an awareness that, uh, that we have this emotion and that it needs to be looked at. And so resentment says, oh, look at this again now. Look at this again. Uh, wait, look at this again. Okay, well, look at this again until we turn and look at it. And it's going to keep coming up and keep coming up until we turn and look at it and go, oh, you have a message to give me, don't you? And that's what our difficult emotions are for. They are meant to give us a message. It is a self-loving message. It is a lo- message that loves the self. And it, it wants the self to be happy and fulfilled and, um, and spiritually aware. And so when we, when we talk about resentment, what's happening is we tend to think that, that re- we resent someone or something. We resent that action or that someone that we did that. But when we get to exploring resentment, resentment generally is based in our own actions. So I've done something or several somethings for you, and you've never done anything for me. And I resent it. That is my emotion coming back up to say, well, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? And, and so resentment can very commonly tell us that we're doing a lot of things that are not genuine in the name of trying to be good. So I'm mowing your grass every Saturday when I'd really rather be doing uh, my own artwork or my own craft show or, or building my projects and whatever that is for me. I am, um, you know, going over to your house and listening to you uh, complain about your love life when really I'd like to tell you that, uh, you know, to stop plain, complaining and do something about it. I am uh, spending a lot of time not telling you what I really think when you complain to me about other aspects of your life. And what, I, what I'd like to say is, you know, there's some potential solutions if you want to consider them. 
um, and offer those to you, but I don't because I'm afraid you won't like me if I do that and you'll stop having me over. Um, But I really, I'm kind of tired of hearing it. I'm kind of tired of hearing you complain all the time. So I'm not being honest with myself because I think that it's not nice to be, to tell somebody uh, that, you know, uh, they might need to think of some solutions to their problems. I think that's just not nice. It's not kind. It's not loving. That's what I believe because I've been taught to believe that I'm supposed to always be nice and kind and loving to other people. And I have these ideas about what those that means. But if we look at 1 Corinthians 13, one of the things that it says about the nature of love, which it sort of defines pretty clearly for us in the Bible, uh, and, and it's used regardless of religion around the world as a fairly clear definition of love. It says, love rejoices in the truth. Okay, so what that means is love loves the truth. And if we, if love loves the truth, then it doesn't love a lie. <laughs> and we lie to ourselves when we put ourselves in positions of trying to be something to someone or for someone that isn't genuine to who we are. So we put on a smiling face and we feel this grinding in our chest that says, oh, I just really hate having to do this. But we just ignore that and go ahead on and do the the quote-unquote nice thing um, because that's what we've always done and that's what we think we always should do. And if we don't do that nice thing, we're going to feel really terrible later. We're going to feel really guilty later. So we go ahead and do it. And then the resentment builds. And it's very common for me to have a client come to see me and say to me, I've got a lot of resentment about this, that, and the other. And they give me their story about their resentment. And then they say they have come to therapy to ask me to help them get rid of this resentment because they know it's bad and they shouldn't be having these feelings. And what I say to them is, I'm sorry, I won't be able to help you with that. I won't be able to help you get rid of that emotion. I will help you examine it for its authenticity. I will help you learn how to listen to the messages of your emotions. I will help you learn that your emotions are messages to you, for you, and about you from your authentic self. And they can guide you in directions that you would not be able to get from anyone else, anywhere else. And so, um, so it's very common for, for me to uh, have clients to come see me about that. And we work on those issues and we, we figure out that there's no such thing as a positive or a negative emotions. We have given these emotions that label because we like some of them and we don't like others. So we call the ones we don't like negative, and we call the ones we do like positive. And that's kind of an interesting way of defining life, right? So, uh, you know, I like this part of my life, and I don't like that part of my life. So this part of my life's negative, and that part's positive. <laughs> well, actually, it's all my life, and I'm choosing it. So well, who's responsible for that? And what, you know, what do we need to do about that? But we have divided our lives up so thoroughly into good and bad that we can't seem to take responsibility for that with some, for something in our lives without also feeling like we have to blame ourselves or feel guilty about it. Um, and, and that idea is based in the good evil, good evil paradigm instead of the true-false paradigm. We get more juice out of the true-false paradigm where, whereby we are able to say, this is truth, I know it's truth because it resonates as truth inside of me. But this is false, and I know it's false because I've I've observed some objective reality and or I have seen um, my own internal 
uh, resonance with it as false. And so we can discover that, but good and bad are not as easily easily discovered because there is no standardized definition that is of goodness or badness that can be counted on worldwide as the one definition of good and bad because, you know, we, are, we hear thou shalt not kill and yet there are many reasons why we think we should kill, including war, including when somebody breaks into our house, including when somebody does something so heinous that we think they should die for it. We have lots of reasons why we should kill even though we also think we shouldn't kill. So which one is true and which one is false? Which one is good and which one is bad? We, we, you know, we, we, we have to decide that. And I'm not even speaking of legalities. I'm just thinking of moralities here. So we, we've got these ideas about what's good and bad that are false. But, but we can discover truth. We can discover falseness. We have a harder time discovering what's really good and what's really bad because, again, there's no standardized definition. So, you know, when we say resentment is a bad feeling, I shouldn't have that. What we're really saying is it's uncomfortable for me and I don't want to have it, so I would like to send it away, please. Thank you very much. And so what we try to do is repress it. We try to tell ourselves not that we shouldn't have that feeling and we try to send it away. And it just keeps coming back because that's the very definition of resentment. It comes back. It comes back and it comes back and it comes back because it's trying to get our attention. And once it gets our attention, then if we can turn and look at it and say, okay, what do you need? What is it that you're trying to tell me? Then it begins to talk to us. And that's when we start to really get the juice out of our, our difficult emotions. We begin to dialogue with them. We begin to ask them what they want and they begin to answer they begin to say, well, you know what? You're doing a whole lot of stuff that's not even genuine to do. You're doing it because you think it's nice or you think it's good, but actually it's not genuine, so it's not nice and it's not good. It's not helpful to you at all. It's not helpful to other people because other people can feel the difference between a deed we do out of resentment and a deed we do out of real, honest-to-God compassion or passion. They can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. We can all tell the difference. We know when somebody's doing something because they think they should or when somebody's doing something because they really are passionate about doing it. So understanding that helps us understand resentment. So resentment has come to tell us what we're doing that's genuine and what we're not we're doing that's not genuine. When we get that grinding feeling in our chest, it's not genuine. When we have an open, uh, loving, uh, freely giving compassion to, to say, I really want to do this for you, that's compassion and passion, and it's genuine. All right, so we're going to talk some more about these kinds of things right after the break. We're talking about the difficult emotions and how um, how they impact us and uh, how they can help us to discover our genuineness, our genuine self, how we can begin to dialogue with our own emotions to discover what they've come to tell us. These are the things that we're not taught in uh, school or anywhere else but we're going to learn it here today so stay tuned for some more right after the break we'll be right back it's your world motivate change succeed voiceamericaempowerment.com What will show up in your card layouts today? Find out every week on Beyond Tarot and More with shamanic mystic Jana Jens. 
Find out the secrets to your beauty, success, happiness, and empowerment. Our guests share stories, answers, and receive card readings based on the information discussed every week. You're invited to participate as well and see what's in the cards for you. Beyond Tarot and More airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. The human body has different levels of interaction and communications, both at an energetic and informational level. Understand the healing potential and the intelligence hidden within these communications when you tune in to Human Potential and Life Force with Dr. Sun. Are health conditions preventing you from achieving effective potential? Can Life Force, also known as Qi, help your quality of life, relationships, and creativity? Find the answers every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about um, letting go of good. Our third segment on that book that is coming out August the 8th. And uh, I want to tell you, before we go any further with that, I want to tell you a little bit about Super Soul Sunday coming up this Sunday, August the 6th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN, Oprah Winfrey Network. Um, this will be a repeat show, but it's a, it's a great one. Carol Bear Sager, Sager, singer-songwriter, reflects on her storied career on this episode. Um, there'll be some new episodes coming up later in the month of August, but for now, these are repeats. But, uh, but if you haven't seen it, or if you have seen it and want to see it again, uh, beautiful show, singer-songwriter Carol Bear Sager uh, reflects on her storied career. So be there for that, uh, August the 6th, 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN. So we're talking about resentment as a difficult emotion, and we were saying that uh, resentment can help us find our authenticity. One of the other things that resentment does is it helps us own what is ours and give back what isn't. So what do I mean by that? Well, typically uh, it's really common for people who have a good guy identity to be highly empathetic people who... um, have a difficulty deciding what's their own emotion and what's somebody else's emotion that they've been carrying around. So they walk through a room and they absorb the emotions that are going on in that room instead of being able to see the emotion but give it back to its person. uh, They absorb the emotions as if they are their own emotions and they carry them around. That's why sometimes it's difficult for them to be in a, cr- a crowded room because they pick up emotions of other people. It's also difficult for them to be around toxic people 
because they pick up the emotions of the toxic person and carry them and want to nurture the toxic person and take care of them because they're picking up their difficult emotions and carrying them around as if they're their own. So, so that's a dilemma for the, for the good guy identity who is trying really hard to be a good person by thinking that it's his responsibility or her responsibility to pick up and carry other people's emotions. So let me be really clear. It is never, I, re, I used the word never, yes I did, it is never our responsibility to carry other people's emotions for them. That is not what we're supposed to be doing as empathic people. Empathy is a gift, can also be a curse, and often is a curse when we don't know how to use it. We have to learn how to use empathy as a skill. So we, we may be given the gift of empathy, but we have to learn how to use it like a skill, just like we may be given the gift of musical capacity, but we have to be trained on how to use the instrument. So uh, the instrument of empathy is useful to us when we can see other people's emotions and then hand them back gently to that other person seems like I sense that you're feeling thus and so and thus and so. We can say that to people or, or it seems like you're really upset about this or it seems like you're, you know, you're feeling some sorrow about this. It seems like you're really angry about this. And what we're doing and when we do that is I see it and then we can say, what do you think you want to do about that? So what you're doing when you make that statement is I'm giving this back to you. So what that does is for somebody who does not recognize their own emotions, it helps them to give a name to their own emotions and then take responsibility for it. That's a helpful thing that we can do with our empathy. But it's not helpful for us to, or for them, for us to pick up and carry their emotions for them. Because if, if you can carry my emotions for me, then I don't have to carry them. And if I'm not carrying them, then they're not delivering a message to me which could help me guide my life. You're actually robbing me of the opportunity of guiding my own life by carrying my emotions for me. And so, it, you know, that's not how we need to be using empathy. And, and, and we need to learn to use that, learn to really hone that in with some real clear boundaries so that we can begin to use empathy as a skill, a, a finely tuned instrument, instead of, letting it eat us up, eat us alive, by burdening us by, uh, with, the, with the burden of other people's emotions that we really can't do anything about anyway because we can't fix their emotions, we can't fix their lives, we can't fix their problems, we don't have that capacity. That's on them to do, and if they don't do it, it is not going to get done. So it's really important for us to know the difference, although we are one with each other, and this is where we get lost in our spiritual intellectualism, that we, we are one with each other, but that does not mean that we're supposed to be carrying each other. There is a uniqueness to each of us that is uh, completely, absolutely responsible for each individual um, uniqueness. So when I'm, when, if, if, if I'm one with you, then that means that, yes, I can feel your emotions. But if I, uh, but if I carry those emotions as if they're mine, then I'm lying to myself and I'm lying to you about the truth of those emotions. They don't belong to me. They belong to you. And so resentment can help us with that. How does that do that? Well, resentment comes up when we feel burdened by other people's emotions, when we feel this constant sense of worrisomeness about somebody else's emotions, about somebody else's life, about what's going on in somebody else's life. We feel this sense that 
we're supposed to do something to make it better. We're supposed to make it all better. And eventually, after carrying that around for a while, it begins to become a burden and we begin to resent it. And that resentment can say, well, you know what? That's not even your emotion. You can give that back now. And so how do we give emotions back? We can say to that person, I sense that you're feeling so-and-so. And and, uh, so what do you think you want to do about that? Instead of, you know, let's do so-and-so about that. Or, you know, I I know that you're upset, so let me tippy-toe around on eggshells to make sure that you calm down. Let me try to fix it for you. Um, That kind of thing. So it, it... Uh, resentment can be very helpful in that regard. So let's move on to another emotion, anger. That's one of the most difficult emotions we have, and it's difficult because it's felt very intensely. It's also difficult because it seems to be about someone else. And we we think that we're supposed to use that anger to get somebody else to behave better. And if we can just yell at them loud enough or lecture them long enough or say the right words, you know, clearly enough, then they might get it and they might start being nicer or not do the stupid thing they're doing that's making us angry. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we tend to think that's what anger's for. But anger, uh, like resentment, is not a message for someone else. It's a message for us. It's our emotion. So why would it be for somebody else? It's for us. That's what our emotions are for. They are for us. And so the anger is telling me something about me. And, and it's not telling me that I'm guilty, which is the first thing the good guy wants to think. Oh, well, then I must be guilty of doing something wrong. If they're not guilty, then I must be. Somebody's guilty here. <laughs> and that's the good guy identity talking. Well, nobody has to be guilty for you to recognize who's responsible for your emotions. You are. And so what that means is that anger has a message. Generally speaking, this is generally speaking, it can get much more specific than this, but generally speaking, anger says, I am here, I am real, and I matter. So, so it, it's, it's telling us that we are, we are really here. We're not invisible. We don't need to be neglected, you know, by other people. We, we uh, you know, one of the triggers for anger is when somebody dismisses us or disregards us or neglects us or pretends we're not in the room. That's a, that's a trigger for anger. Um, and the trigger says, wait, I'm here and I'm real and I matter. And who we need to be here and real and matter to is ourselves. We need to take ourselves seriously enough to speak up when we need to speak up and to be heard as much as we can be heard by other people when, when the time comes to be heard. That, that is what our anger is for. Our anger is meant to plant our feet firmly on planet Earth and say, I am here I am real, and I matter. And so the more we say that to other people, the more we believe it. The more we say it to ourselves, the more we believe it. The more we act on it as truth, the more we believe it. And so, um, suppose I'm in a, a relationship with um, an alcoholic who is, or a drug addict who cannot seem to stop using. And I've lectured, and I've cajoled, and I've fussed, and I've threatened to leave, and I've done all these things, and nothing seems to work. So what's happening is I'm carrying the burden of their alcoholism or their addiction, and I am the one that's doing all the work. They're not doing any of the work. I'm the one that's carrying all the worry. They're not doing any of the worry. I'm the one that's got the problem. They don't have a problem. All they have to do when they feel worried about something is go get another drink or another drug, and they're fine. I've got a problem. 
and that's what that burden has come to tell me, that I'm the one that's carrying the burden. And so when I start to get angry, that's a really good sign. What that means is I'm about to take responsibility for my emotions and give you back responsibility for yours. And I'm going to, I might at that point begin to say, you know, I can't be with this anymore. Instead of lecturing and cajoling and trying to get you to behave right, wasting my energy doing that, I might say, well, you know what? He's got a problem. She's got a problem. Whoever that is that's in your relationship with, and I, I have got to start taking care of me. That's what my anger has come to tell me, to start taking care of me. It's not telling me to lecture you and cajole you some more. It's not telling me to fuss at you some more. It's not telling me to threaten you leave, to leave you some more. It's telling me that it's time for me to start taking care of me because that's what my anger comes to tell me. It's self-love. It's about me being able to take care of me. That's why we have emotions. They help us take care of ourselves. And so anger has come to tell me to take good care of myself. And so I might have to leave you in order to do that. I might really have to get away from you in order to do that because being around you is toxic for me. Maybe it's toxic for our children. We have children. Um, it's, it, it's toxic in all kinds of ways because I'm ha- I feel that being around you when you're drunk or high makes me feel responsible for your well-being. And I can't be responsible for your well-being. That's your job. But what typically happens when the good guy starts getting angry is they say, oh, I feel so bad for I shouldn't have these feelings. That's terrible. I, should, I need to get rid of this anger. It's a bad feeling. I don't need to feel anger. I'm supposed to feel soft, loving, kind, always be there for other people feelings. I'm not supposed to have any of these, quote, unquote, negative feelings. But if we can, instead, if we can stop ourselves from doing that, if we can say, wait, 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 that's a lie. That's the lie that comes from the good guy identity. The lie says I'm not supposed to have my very natural, normal, healthy feelings. uh, And I'm supposed to send those away in the name of trying to be good. Whereas being more true, more genuine says, this anger has come to talk to me. And I'm going to dialogue with it. I'm going to find out what it is really come to tell me. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen. I'm going to be present with it. And I'm going to really do an assessment on my anger and really discover what's going on behind that, that, that the message that, that comes to me for that. And so at that point, I may decide to leave my, this relationship and get in, uh, go off by myself and start taking care of myself better and leave you to your own desired devices. But the good guy identity is probably going to feel some guilt about that because the good guy identity says, no, no, I, sh- I can't leave them. What if they keep drinking? What if they don't stop drinking? What if they get worse? What if it will be all my fault? No, it's not your fault if they make choices to continue to do what they've always done. That's on them. That's their choice. It is their life. And that's what we have to get. As, as a good guy identity, one of the most important things we can really get, and our difficult emotions can help us get it, is that, our, that other people's choices belong to other people. They don't belong to us. We have no power. Let me say that again. We have zero power to get somebody else to behave appropriately. We, if, we had that, if, we, if we had the power to do that, let me tell you, I would be a very rich therapist today. <laughs> a very rich therapist because I would have a secret power that nobody else on the planet has uh, to get other people to behave right. Uh, there's no uh, other people are going to have to take responsibility for their behavior in the same way that you're going to have to take responsibility for yours. And when we really, really get that, 
we begin to be able to make boundaries. This is where I stop and you begin. You begin at the level of your choices. You begin at the level of your emotions. You begin at the level of your your uh, thoughts. You begin at the level of your stuff. This is yours. This is not mine. And the more I try to take it on, trying to prove to myself that I'm a good person or prove to somebody else that I'm a good person, the less I am helping you. That's right. The more I try to own your problems, the less I am helping you because the, the help is going to come from you taking responsibility for your problems. You're the one that needs to be worried. If you've got an addiction, you should be worried. <laughs> you should be, be thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got an addiction. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do about this? This is a big old problem. It's a monster. It's a dragon. It's eating me up. I need to figure out what I'm going to do about it. But as long as somebody else is carrying that burden, then then you're not. So uh, as long as somebody else is doing all the worrying, then why should I worry? They're worrying for me. I don't need to worry. So I'll just go get another drink or go get another hit or whatever it is that I do. Uh, and, and then everything will be fine. I'll feel good. Then what's the problem now? So... So just this, I've used the idea of addiction because it's very clear, but it can be about anything. It doesn't have to be about addiction. It could be any kind of problem. It could be a, you know, any way that you're trying to take care of somebody else's issues, their financial issues, their emotional issues, their, uh, their uh, mental health issues, their, their problems, the social problems that they have with other people, their marital problems, their relationship problems, whatever. It is not yours. It belongs to them. And that feels very cold to the good guy identity. To the good guy, the good guy wants to say, well, that's just cold to say that that belongs to them. It's not cold. It's fact. It's truth. It's not fiction anymore. And the good guy has been spending a lot of time bargaining with, if only I can do this and this and this, then it'll be all better. Magical thinking that says, I can make magic. I can make thing, good, good things come out of bad. I can... I can uh, heal this other person's problem, and you know, I just all I need to do is lay hands on them, and they'll be healed, and they'll be all right, and everything will be fine, and and you know, and it doesn't happen, and we don't know why it doesn't happen because we're trying so hard to make it happen, but it's not ours. That's why it's not happening. It can't happen because it's not our problem. It's somebody else's problem, and the only people that can do something about that, uh, uh, someone else's problem, is that someone else. So in order for us to really understand how we can use anger, we have to understand where we stop and somebody else begins. So anger says, oh, I'm angry, uh, and, and this is telling me something about how I can take better care of myself. This is not telling me how to go make you behave right. Um, and that's how we get it confused. So anger is a message to you, for you, about you, and generally speaking, it says, I am here, I am real, and I matter. And when it says that loud enough and clear enough to you, you begin to say, oh, I really am here. I really am real, and I really do matter to me. And so I'm going to start living my life out of that mantra instead of the mantra that says I'm supposed to fix your life for you and forget about me. Because that's what the good guy does. The good guy is into self-negation. I'll just negate me, and I'm not really here, and I'll just live my life to make you okay. That doesn't work, and anger comes to tell us that is not ever going to work. And that's why anger is so very helpful to us, such a healing agent, anger is. 
although we've been taught just the opposite. It's not toxic. It's a healer. All right. Well, that's it for this segment. We're going to be back in just a few minutes with a little bit more about some difficult emotions and how they can heal us and help us to become more authentic. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building. Yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks. How to get it just right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success. And every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free. 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about letting go of good, dispel the myth of goodness to find your genuine self. The book will be out on August the 8th, and you can purchase it at any of your local outlets or, or, or online at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, any of those .coms. And um, so we've been talking today about how difficult emotions can help us to get past the good guy identity and into something more genuine. And what we've talked about so far is resentment, and then we talked about anger, and now we're going to talk just a little bit about fear. Fear is one of those emotions that we are taught not to feel. Um, In fact, there are spiritual leaders out there who are telling us that fear is the opposite of love, and if you have fear, you can't have love. And what I'm going to tell you is that fear is a form of self-love. Now, it is not always accurate. Sometimes we are afraid of things that don't exist. And we'll talk about that in a minute. 
but but uh, fear by itself tells us to be aware. That's one of its main messages. It says, stay aware, wake up, look, watch, listen, pay attention. Something's coming up that's, that needs your attention. And that's what fear can tell us. It, and, it, and it's meant to tell us that. So, you know, we're not to live our lives full of terror, for sure. But if something is coming up, so, so suppose we have a new project coming up. So people talk uh, in the spiritual evolution groups and, and new age, new thought, uh, human potential movement groups, they talk about, you know, fear of success or fear of failure sabotaging us and, oh, how we need to watch out for those fears because they might sabotage us. But actually, those fears are not coming to sabotage us. We certainly can sabotage ourselves with them if we choose to. But they're not coming to sabotage us. They're coming to tell us to be aware. So I've got a project coming up that needs my uh, really close attention, and I'm afraid. I feel this sense of fear. And the fear has come to say, look, pay attention. Go slow. Watch what you're doing. Don't take on too much. Uh, Pay attention to the details. Pay attention to uh, your money. Pay attention to your time management. Pay attention to how much you're still enjoying this, how much you still love it. Pay attention to when you don't love it. And if you don't love it, then, you know, that's a sign to you that maybe you need to uh, um, pass that particular part of the job on to somebody else or maybe reassign it or find another way to do it. Um, but it, it, if the fear is coming to say, slow down, pay attention, don't take on too much, don't bite off more than you can chew, Stop, look, and listen. That's what fear has come to say. And if we use it that way, then it is extremely helpful to us. But if we just say, oh, I shouldn't be afraid. Let me send that away. Let me, let me just be brave and strong and tough. And let me just pretend that I'm not afraid. And then what happens is we're blind to the things that fear is trying to tell us to watch out for. And then we do sabotage ourselves. And then we can say, well, see, fear sabotaged me. If I just had not felt afraid, I would have not sabotaged myself. But actually, it was not the fear that sabotaged us. It was trying to pretend we're not afraid that sabotaged us. So we need, we need our fear. And fear, it, what the fear says is, I love you so much that I'm trying to get you to pay attention to this. It doesn't say it's not love. Love and fear can exist in the same moment, in the same time, and not be opposite to each other. They don't, they're not antithetical to each other. But that's what we've been taught. We've been taught that love and fear are opposite. And so you shouldn't have fear. You should send fear away. It's a bad thing. Don't feel it. Um, but why would we be given an emotion as a natural biological component of our existence if it wasn't somehow useful to us? I want you to think about that. We're trying to send away very important aspects of who we are as biological creatures. These emotions come from our brain waves. They come from our biology. They come from the essence of who we are. And yet we try to send them away because they're not supposed to be there. <laughs> That's awful arrogant of us, don't you think? Really, it's pretty arrogant of us. So fear can be very, very helpful in that regard. It can keep us aware. Now, I said I would come back to the fears that were not that were telling us to be afraid of something that wasn't really there. Those are what we call learned fears. Those are fears that we like. Suppose we grew up in a pretty traumatic environment, and so we are overreacting pretty commonly to any kind of loud noises, or we uh, we jump 
when somebody startles us, we, we have a big startle reaction. And uh, so those are, those are examples of learned fears. Um, we can learn to be afraid of all kinds of things, but primarily what those learned fears are really up to tell us is that we learned a fear. Um, and so if a fear comes along that we discover to be false, that in other words, it's telling us to be afraid of something we don't really need to be afraid of, then uh, we can get to know our own background better and heal our old, old wounds better because the fear came to tell us that we had learned to be afraid in that area. So it helps us even even then, even when it's a learned fear, even if it's telling us to be afraid when there's no, really, there's no real danger there, then we still can use that fear to help us become conscious of our pasts and heal old wounds. And so, uh, so still being conscious of our fear is very, very important and, and not pretending it away. Oh, well, I, there's nothing to be afraid there. I'm just being paranoid. Let me send that away. No, we need a dialogue with it. What is, where did this paranoia come from? What is this about? Where did I learn to be this afraid of these kinds of things? And, and to be able to say, oh, I learned that fear from this, ex- this particular event helps put it in perspective and helps to, uh, to, to heal old woundedness just to be able to look at it and see that it came from that old place. Um, so even then, we, fear can be very helpful to us. But fear is, a, fear is also a, can be a highly intuitive thing in that we can, fear can be a form of intuition. So we might, you know, people talk about having the hair raised on the back of their necks. Well, that's a biological response to fear, but it's largely intuitive as well. So it really has come to say, uh, well, there's something here. You need to look at it. There's something here to be paid attention to. So let's look at it. Um, and, and so it's important for us to do that. Sorrow is another one of those emotions that we that is very difficult for us. In fact, sorrow is the emotion most avoided by most people. It's the one we don't want to wish to know that we have. Sorrow is basically an admission to the universe that we are not in control. Because what we what we sorrow about is all of those things that we didn't get that we really wanted. People that we don't want to lose, events that we didn't want to have, um, circumstances that we don't want to have, uh, dreams that didn't come true. These are all things about which we feel sorrow. And sorrow is a very, very important emotion. We want to send it away because we want to pretend to ourselves that life is always good. And of course, we're also always afraid that other people are going to judge us. They're going to know that we haven't had a completely successful life um, or that they're going to think we're weak or vulnerable. And so we just don't want to let other people know that we have sorrow. In fact, in America today, grief the grief experience is supposed to be three days and you're done with it. You know, if you, you get off for bereavement, you grieve for three days and then you, you're done. You don't think about that anymore. Don't show anybody else that you're thinking about it, which is, of course, absurd. But... Uh, but that's how we've how we've come to be in America, and I've I've literally heard people say it's been two weeks now. I'm not over this yet. What what's going on here? Why am I still feeling this? And uh, of course, there that's that's one of those standards we have decided upon that means that if I'm if I'm having sorrow, I must be a weak, uh, overly vulnerable, too sensitive. All those words that we use to blame ourselves for having a normal uh, response to a life crisis. And so uh, sorrow, you know, what sorrow actually does for us is it changes us. 
it transforms us deep inside. It's like a flood that runs through a territory and everything after that is changed. It's like what it's like when the Mississippi River changes its banks. You know, it changes the, the, how far it's going to reach out into the land. And then the river is different after that. It's, it, it's that kind of thing that sorrow does for us. Sorrow, if we allow sorrow to be sorrow, transforms us from the inside out. We become very different. We take life more seriously in terms of its, its joys and its uh, blessings and its, uh, the little things that happen in a day that are really rich. We begin to feel them differently. Um, I remember a particular loss that I had of a dear friend that was uh, killed uh, when I was in college. And um, how I began to think on the day of her funeral, I remember looking up at the sky and thinking, why isn't it raining? This is ridiculous that the sun should be shining on today with this, you know, when, when there's such a terrible loss. And of course, at the, in the moment that I had that thought, I knew that there were also births being held that same day when people were being born and People were getting married, and people were graduating, and people were having wonderful events as well. So I knew that I was being unrealistic. But that feeling that came with that was there's such a deep sorrow that the earth needs to comply with the sorrow. And uh, and that feeling was transformative for me because as I began to be with that feeling and allow it to be what it was, it began to, I began to look at nature and experience it on a deeper level because I had had that connection with nature about her death. So uh, th- that's just one example of how we can change, but we, we, we shift. Our relationships become more meaningful to us on a moment-to-moment basis because we have felt sorrow. We become more deeply invested in our relationships because we have felt sorrow. Unless we're trying to avoid sorrow, in which case, then we can avoid relationships because we don't want to have any sorrow. So sorrow is, uh, you know, when people allow themselves to feel sorrow, they don't come out of that unchanged. They are very different. They forgive life on a deeper level. Life, uh, they allow life to be life on, a de- on its own terms, on a different level. There's, there's not so much of trying to get life to comply with our wishes anymore. We begin to understand that life is life and we're in the river and we can't push that river. It sometimes uh, really pushes us. We're, we're going to go down that river to the ocean regardless. So it's important to allow ourselves to feel the sorrow, to let it be what it is, to cry when it comes up, to comfort ourselves after we've cried, to allow ourselves to really walk through any kind of sorrow that we have. And, and as we do that, we evolve to a deeper, more authentic, more genuine capacity to understand who we are, to be present with who we are, to live out who we are in some very deep ways. And uh, so, so these typically considered difficult emotions are very, very helpful to us, and they're very, very healing to us, and they're very consciousness-raising to us. They allow us to be more true to who we are. But we, ha- we live in a society that says to send these emotions away. And in fact, we live in a spiritual realm that uh, very constantly teaches us not to let these emotions interfere with our lives. Because if we do, we're not going to have a good life, which is just the exact opposite of the truth of that matter. So 
um, allowing ourselves to feel these difficult emotions is going to be very, very important. And uh, and that you'll you'll read more about that if you read the book. Um, read more about how these emotions can be very helpful to you, and given some examples from true life examples of people's uh, experiences with these emotions. That's what we have for today. And we'll be back again next week with some more about letting go of good. And uh, and so stay tuned for that next Wednesday at same time. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.